Topics. I am Brooke. And I am Megan. And Megan just got really scared that I, Megan, didn't press record, but Megan did. So. <laughs> and Brooke is really happy that Megan pressed record. <laughs> Let's just continue Ooh. to talk. In third person, is it working? It is recording, and we are live We're with live. our audience. Live. They're right here. They're listening right now. Yeah. We actually have a live audience for you guys right now. Woo! Hear they're, that? they're so quiet. They're so respectful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, we have kind of a topic that's that might be a little controversial because of our, like, place in life. The question is, how does codependency look um, in parenting, in a yes. parent-child relationship. Yes. We don't have kids. <laughs> Which is, is what makes this <laughs> Right. Maybe a little bit co- controversial, I don't know. But we yeah. are kids of parents. Yes. And, you know, I also kind of think, I mean, my little soapbox is, yeah. even if you haven't experienced something, I I'll, obviously you're going to have a richer, deeper understanding if you're in the situation. I'm not trying to give any parent advice, you know. Yeah. But you can have, like, thoughts on dynamics of relationships absolutely you know what i mean because that has a lot of intersectionality with other relationships yes. that we are in and have been forever <laughs> so um that's kind of the place that we're coming from yes and it's also important to highlight that you might not be a parent of your own biological children but you also could parent a sibling or you grew mm-hmm. up in a role of a parent in some aspect. Or you're a godmother, godfather, or ha- or like an aunt that there are roles that that have like a, like a parental feel to them. Yeah. You're not called mom, dad, or whatever. Right. And we are, me and you are young 30-somethings. We are at the age where a lot of our friends have families of their own now. Yeah. So it's not that we have the direct... Um, experience with having our own kids but we definitely are close enough to it mm-hmm. um, to see these dynamics in play in with some play. of our friends sure. yeah yeah so what we want to go through first is some of the patterns of codependency that you might see in your children so this is from a, a lens of if you're a parent you want to see what to even look for in your kid for signs that they could turn into a codependent adult or a codependent kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And we have discussed this in our in our um, previous podcast of just how this is a, a big um, part of codependency is just not having enough self-esteem in yourself. Mm-hmm. And that could be, I mean, if you're a vigilant parent and if you're trying to pay attention to how your kid reacts in certain situations, um, looking out for maybe a low self-esteem pattern that comes mm-hmm. from birth or comes from their just young mm-hmm. age. Um, something to just keep in mind is seeing that low self-esteem yeah. early on. And I think that can look like being really shy. Um, not, yeah. It's not necessarily that every shy person has low self-esteem, but just some things to think about. Um, or not knowing, you know, not having any interest, not really wanting to explore or share ideas, you know. Exactly, um, yes. Wanting to kind of disappear. Yes, and also, uh, it's important for um, parents and teachers and any sort of role like that around kids, it's important to see how they internalize the mistakes they've made. Um, I think, like, as parents, if you if a kid is telling, like, explaining how they messed up in some way, 
Um, if they're like really internalizing the problem and making it about how they're worthless or whatever, um, you can tell by what they're saying to you, like, oh man, I'm just so stupid or whatever. Right, yeah. Try and nip that in the bud. If you mm-hmm. like, if you hear those phrases, you can even make it a rule in your household of like, oh, we're not, we don't talk badly about ourselves here. Like, right, right, right. And just making that a thing so that moving forward, you know, your self-esteem isn't compromised because at the end of the day, it's about separating the problem from mm-hmm. yourself because yeah. it's not that you're a terrible person by nature. It's that you made this mistake. Mm-hmm. So just as a parent, making those differentiations as often as you can and when you notice them, um, that will help. Sure. Don't you think? Could. Could help. Um, another one is they, the kid, if the kid needs to be in control constantly, mm-hmm. um, you can see this you know, from a young age. Where if they're in a friend dynamic and they're always, you know, needing to be the the bossy one, so mm-hmm, to speak. Mm-hmm. My sister's going to hate me for this, but I'm going to kind of put her on blast at the moment. Um, but when she was a kid, we, that was kind of like the running joke. I mean, I'm, I'm five years younger than her, so I didn't really get to hang out with her in a kid setting often. We were always just like not at the same age to hang out really, but... My my mom would joke about the fact that, like, her and her best friend, she would just be, like, ordering her friend around, like, go get that toy and go do it. Like, this is when they're super mm-hmm, young, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's those little, you know, we've seen them with kids where there's one kid who's just needs to control the whole play. Like, right, okay, right. so imagine this. We're playing house. No, you can't do that. You, you know, That's not how that goes. Yeah, and it's an imaginary game, yeah, but they're coming exactly. up with rules for it, right? And so. I think that also can look like... Um, uh, like if like very upset if a routine gets thrown off as well like everything yeah. has to be controlled and precise and if the thing that they usually do after dinner isn't able to be done or you know some particular thing that they usually use breaks and they can't use it I think freaking out over those things right is also a sign of control like needing things to be the same every time and knowing what's going to happen next kind of a thing. Yes, yes. Which could be um, could be attributed to some neurodivergence in, in kids as well. Could be. There are, yeah, some yeah. similarities there. Another one is uh, an excess need to please others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought of a random example at the moment right now. When I was a kid, I was into Pokemon cards mm-hmm. like we all were. I had like a binder full mm-hmm. of all mm-hmm. of them. And I had a childhood, or I had a friend in the neighborhood convince me to trade my Electrode, which if you know anything about Pokemon, Electrode is not a popular Pokemon. Okay. And he wanted me to trade it, or give, he wanted to give that to me in exchange for my holographic Articuno. (gasps) Holographic? No, Brooke. Yes. And he was really convincing and he kept like pushing to trade, right? And I did the trade, and if anyone knows about Pokemon, that was just a horrendous trade to make. I gave him not only a holographic card, a shiny, cool card, right? That's But I gave him an Articuno, which is a really cool bird Pokemon, and was, like, an awesome Pokemon to have. And I traded it for, like, an Electrode, which is, like, this little ball of nothing Pokemon, and it wasn't holographic, and I'm still pissed about it till this day. <laughs> and you knew that it was a bad trade, but you did it because you felt the need to please him, because he wouldn't take exactly. no for an answer. He kept trying to convince you, and that, yeah. Right. And so I went to my mom, and I cried about it, and she consoled me, but basically was like, why did you do that? Yeah. But I was just like, I felt pressured, and... yeah. 
you know, so it's just one of those things where it's like, if you notice your kid is doing little things like that, like I do kind of wish my mom pushed a little in that moment to be like, get to the root of that problem. But yeah. I mean, that's, it was a very minor example. Yeah, there was exactly. other ways that she did that. But like, um, in that example, I'm just saying mm-hmm. like, that was my need to please him yeah, to yeah. do that trade. That's a good example. Yeah. And the next one is worrying a lot. Um, I definitely, uh, resonate with this I was such a worrier such high anxiety and over nothing like you're a kid you don't anything to worry about (laughs) (laughs) what um so I think this is a big thing to just take note of and maybe ask more questions yeah you know and then also the feeling of not being good enough yeah constantly um you know I think this can come out in a few ways we already mentioned but just you know I guess the idea that anything that happened like I I think for me how it came out was that I never heard compliments Mm. like my mom would even say like oh that was nice that they said that and I'll be like what you know yeah and then recite back what happened and that is completely gone and what was highlighted was the really bad stuff you know right so that idea of like perceiving everything that you're doing as like could be better or not seeing the good stuff right like, if you, if you do something and the parent's like, yeah, well, you, you know, you could have done this better, mm-hmm. though, or whatever. Like, still take a moment to tell them what they did was good. It was and right. Like, what was yeah. right about it. And, yeah, that they that their value doesn't change based on the fact that they could have maybe done something differently in that moment. Right. And think about it this way. If you're a kid and you mess up constantly, or, like, you're constantly making mistakes in the ways that kids do. And the, the first thing out of your parent's mouth is something like, well, you... you like, say that you you're, you struck out in baseball, right? And then you're walking back to the dugout and you're all sad, but your parent is like, yeah, but when you caught that ball um, in the last play on when you were on defense, that was really good. Mm-hmm. Or, like, just it, imagine if your parent, every time you messed up, and instead of, like, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is something positive about your performance or whatever you did or whatever, like, the situation is. Yeah. That does so much for the kid. It really does. Like, and it instills the habit in that kid as when they become an adult, they start thinking that way. So, like, if they make a, a mess up with a, a person or whatever in their life, they're immediately going to think of, like, well, I did do this positive thing. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it instills the habit from a yes. young age because now their, their parents, they see their parent doing, all, doing it all the time. You know totally. What I mean? That's a great point. Yeah. So I think that kind of goes with blaming self. Um, I think a lot of like, you know, it's always hard because you're always trying to juggle the two sides of a coin, you know, in life, but then also parenting, you know, trying to teach the two sides of the coin. That's so hard. So like trying to teach people to take perspective of other people or like how you could maybe impact someone else's life. Yes. But then if you do that, you know, and again, sometimes no, we're not, I just want to be very clear that we're not parent shaming here no there are um no shoulds in this exactly portion or this podcast um and that somebody can do it perfectly and then you know somebody can interpret the kid can interpret it in a certain way again like we always say there two takes two to tango it's just hard because you're technically rearing this (laughs) little person so that you feel the responsibility of you know more of the of the dynamic. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you're trying to get the kid to take the other person's perspective, like how did, how did what you did allow, you know, maybe shape how they 
felt or their response kind of sounds like what did you do to make that happen so then you're always thinking through the lens of like this is my problem I am here to make you feel a certain way and now I need to take it that blame upon myself whenever someone reacts badly or when something happens now that's my fault yeah you know and there are good nuggets in there like let me think about how I affect other people but moving into the realm of like now I'm blaming myself for everything that's the the problem side of the coin (laughs) right right and that's that's what comes down to like that's what how shame develops right it's like we start blaming ourselves Mm -hmm. and making it all about self when really it's isolating the problem is what we need to do yeah and then uh with that comes lack of trust right um we start like if you start seeing that in a in a kid if they're having issues with trusting others trusting Mm -hmm. authority figures um all of this could be you know, signs of codependency. Yeah. Um, fear of being alone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of kids who cannot stand a moment being alone, always have to be attached to someone's side. Yep. You know, that's a literal codependent way of like, you know, I need to be attached to someone at all times. Mm-hmm. My parent. Um, also chronic anger, mm. which what's crazy is um, I had that growing up. Mm. Like I was chronically angry. I was just yeah. always angry. Right. Um, I was mad at my home situation and how, you know, my parents were split up and how there's, there was a lot of just dynamics that were not pleasant to be around. Mm -hmm. And so I think I carried around that anger a lot. And, um, that's another sign of codependency too, is that maybe the kid is not feeling like their needs are being met. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. looking back at little Brooke, um, I feel like a lot of my needs weren't being met. And like you said, it takes two to tango and it, um, I'm not saying that, oh, my parents just neglected me. That's not at all what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying there were just needs that they weren't even aware of that yeah. I had and that mm-hmm. needed to be addressed, yeah, right? Totally. So, and, and difficulty making decisions is a big one, too, and I think that's oh, yeah. huge for me because I um, felt like I didn't even know. I felt like there was a right decision, and that I yeah. didn't know how to know what the right decision was, even for the simplest thing. And it's kind oh, of gosh. carried over into my adulthood of, like, we would, like, pick a table to eat at. I'm like, I don't know which one. Yeah. You know? yeah. So all of these are just patterns of behavior you can see in kids that could mean that your kid is more um, prone to being codependent. Right. Right. Or just might have more needs than others. Like, you might not be labeling it as codependent mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. To it, becoming codependent. Becoming codependent and just yeah. being aware that they probably will have more needs than your other children mm-hmm. or more needs than what you expect. And just trying to be, like, aware of those needs more and, and mm-hmm. having those discussions with them. Yeah. And, you know, trying to... Finding the root of it. It's yeah. just... I think that's what it is. Just kind of delving into to their their little minds, you know. Yeah. And really finding the root of why some of these things are going on and just giving it space to breathe because we can't fix everything. As parents, I think we kind of think we, I'm not a parent. I think <laughs> people yeah, kind of think of parenting as like I am shaping this kid and then there's this control element. And so again with codependency, oftentimes there is a giver and a taker. There's a control element. And so people right. can slip into this easily with parenting, I think, because just like in a managerial position or whatever, you have that 
control technically you have control over your child you should right in certain ways and then it can just kind of get pushed over into this other thing that might not be the healthiest for certain particular kids who are more prone to feeling these ways or behaving these ways because they might learn that they are to be controlled or yeah you know what I mean right and then that can kind of create that codependency pattern in relationships absolutely and just to kind of um the go off what you just said um what could help as a parent too is looking back at your own childhood and seeing in the ways that your parent was codependent Mm -hmm. with you Mm -hmm. because a lot of it you know the apple doesn't fall far from Mm -hmm. the tree or whatever um a lot of it comes from systemic codependency that you might not realize you're learning how to be from them you're watching them behave right and you know people watch what we do right the children are going to watch what we do they're not going to necessarily pay attention to what we're saying Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. i mean we hope that they do but at the end of the day as a parent and I'm talking as a parent when I'm not a parent but I'm saying I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a parent and I would assume so that the child is learning based off your behaviors Mm -hmm. if you're taking if you're bringing in the behaviors of the dynamic from you and your mom or you and your dad and you're now pulling that into you and your child Mm -hmm. just know that it's going to be the same dynamic until you recognize and start making changes to not have that dynamic yep right Totally. And so, I mean, speaking of generational and how this affects all the family members, let's talk about some common themes at the house, at the in the home, that can be codependent, that foster codependency. Yeah, absolutely. I think oh, the first one, don't talk about uncomfortable stuff. Don't talk about your feelings. Yes, and yeah, that this is a big one. I mean, there's so many households, and I, I keep meeting people like this too. My household was not necessarily like this. Well, the the two households I was bouncing from, um, we did not have a problem expressing how we felt. Mm-hmm. It was the opposite. It yeah, was like, oh just... dear lord, can we not hear something? <laughs> we get it. You're annoyed. You're like, it's like. We all had something to say. It just wasn't constructive, but people were saying stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. People had feelings and people had a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And it was very just, poof. But, you know, as you get into the adult world, you meet friends and you meet their families or you get into relationships and you meet the families of your spouses or whatever. You start to realize that there's a lot of households that just do not share the problems and shove everything underneath the rug you know, I know my dad came from that household. Mm-hmm. My dad, my my grandma, um, rest in peace, love for her to pieces. But uh, that household she ran as like a, let's never discuss our problems. If there is a problem, we're going to mm-hmm. throw it under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if so, in, it, once the um, once my parents got older and became adults of their own, it's like if any divorces happened, it was like no one, the extended family never found out. Yeah, mm-hmm. sh- like. Yeah, um, everything was hush hush. Mm-hmm. We didn't want the neighbors or the Joneses to think mm-hmm. that we're not keeping up with them. Yeah, that would be a travesty. Yeah. So yeah, and I think that can also come into play of like, don't tell the children. The children yes. can't handle it. Don't tell the children. So then there's all this whispering talking about that uh, yes. with among the adults and the kids are like, I can see you. <laughs> you yes. know, now I'm just confused. This is weird. Right, and I actually remember that in my childhood a lot. I remember. Mm-hmm finding out things much later that was like wait why didn't I you can process them in the moment there's no processing you just think oh this leads me to the next one there's no processing just be strong and suck it up oh yeah exactly I've been told that so I mean 
I don't know about you, but that was my dad's motto growing mm-hmm. up. It was just like, you know, deal with it, deal with it, suck it up. Don't be a baby. Yeah. And know. I think too, this comes from like not having tools, not having tools to know how to process or talk through things, not having yes. the hope and the idea that things can get better, that there is a way out of stuff or, right. you know, that there is a model of something healthier to try to get to. So right. let's just not talk about it. It's just easier. Right. You know? Or what you can do, like what my grandpa did. My dad said that, like, my grandpa would just hold in all of his frustrations from the day. And then if you're, they're at the dinner table and, like, a kid spills his milk, mm-hmm. you would just it's freak the, out. Hey, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right, right. And then you're like, wait, why is he freaking out over mm-hmm. spilled milk? Literally for spilled milk. You know? Um, but then it ends up being a part of a bigger problem. Yep. So, yeah. Um, seek perfection, be good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, work hard, be good and seek perfection. Right. So like if that is the mentality in your household growing up, um, that can easily turn someone into a codependent adult, because if you are told to seek perfection at all times, if, um, if yeah, be good, right. We're talking Mm -hmm. both be good and seek perfection to me are two totally toxic ideas, um, especially the be good part too, because I think a lot of us don't realize how much that was ingrained in us as kids is like, you're either good or you're bad at all times. Mm-hmm. So as we become adults, we think very binary. We think things are always good or always bad mm-hmm. when really most things are just neutral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no good or bad. And we assign meanings to things all the time when it doesn't need to be that. So, yeah. And I think too, like this idea of like work hard and seek perfection, those things can come out it just teaches you to not care about your needs and just do it anyway. Yeah. That mentality. Like, oh, right. I, I, I might feel sick, have a headache, be tired, be really upset, and there's no space for that. Do it anyway. And then right. the idea could be that the parent is thinking, I'm teaching you perseverance. I'm teaching you hard work. I'm teaching you the value of, you know, a pushing through a difficult moment. But again, it can be pushed to the extreme where you're like, oh, that means I should ignore all of my feelings and bodily reactions and do it anyway. And exactly. then you learn to never know what you need. Right. Or know how to how to set the boundary to take it in an appropriate way. Yes. And you know what's like a kind of a, um, a micro example of this? I mm-hmm. was reading about this or I heard it on a podcast and it was very interesting to me. Um, a lot of the times when we were growing up, I don't know about you, but I was trained to like, if an uncle comes over, it's like, okay, g- give your uncle a hug, give your mm. uncle a kiss, you know, whatever the mm-hmm. uncle wanted. And sometimes, I mean, I don't, I didn't, luckily I didn't have any inappropriate uncles in my life, but like, uh, I do know that there are families out mm-hmm. there with uncles who are asking for inappropriate things like, oh, mm-hmm. give me a kiss on the lips or mm-hmm. just things that are, you know, and then the kid is obligated to do yeah. it. And the parent's like, come on, give uncle blah, blah, blah. And kiss. you learn that your no doesn't mean anything. Exactly. And so those are the things that you're teaching your kid mm-hmm. in those moments. You're teaching them that their needs and what they are comfortable with are not important because mm-hmm. this other person needs comes first. Yeah. Or even like... Um, perfect attendance at school like you're yeah. going to school no you're going to school you had a late night you're still going to school like something yeah. happened you know you're oh you're not sick you're going to school you exactly know? and that idea of like or then you know your friend doesn't go to school or cousin doesn't go to school or sister doesn't you know or not sister because it'll be the same parent but <laughs> 
somebody else doesn't go to school and then they're like, oh, they're, they're, they li- would label it like lazy. Yeah. Or that's bad parenting, not letting them, you know, letting them not go to school. And it's like, well, you know, there's a, there's a middle ground to everything. It's like exactly. if you're never letting your kid go to school or you're not monitoring if they're going to school. Yeah, that's bad. But then, right. you know, maybe taking into consideration some other things that might be happening, teaching kids to take rest, teaching yeah. kids to listen to their body, teaching kids what a mental health day is, or, you know, right. there's, there's good and bad to every, like, again, there's just, you need to find that middle ground. Don't push everything to one and it's not, Oh, don't push everything to one side. And that kind of leads me to what I was thinking about when I was deciding if, you know, do I want to be a parent or whatever? And thinking about the best way to go about certain things if I were to become a parent Mm. oftentimes I think parents when people become parents they just want to do the opposite of what they didn't like in their childhood but the opposite of something running from something is not the best healthy way to do it you know it's like taking a step back really healing from your wounds then zooming out seeing it from afar and finding the middle ground you know wisdom usually is in the middle ground it's like you can't just be on the opposite side of something that you didn't like when you were on the other side of the pendulum when right. you were a kid you know the other the, the opposite side of the pendulum is not better it's also a side of the pendulum you know right right absolutely and that's that's actually a really good point to make because like you said we want to do the absolute extreme of what we had as kids right mm-hmm. the opposite sorry the opposite of what we got as yeah, kids especially right, if it right. was a, most people do yeah yeah you you dissect or at it. least in certain ways you know like oh this was something that i didn't like you know Right, right. But it's such a good point because it's, like, always about finding the middle ground. I think that's, like, the motto for life in general mm-hmm. is always finding the, the middle ground. But, like, in parenting specifically, you do have to try hard to find that middle ground. I agree. Oh, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. So do as I say, not as I do. That's a really big one, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. A pattern in the home of learning that people's words don't meet their actions and that's normal is bad because then it leads you to get into these codependent relationships or maybe abusive relationships where you're listening to some good thing and never comes to fruition or you're seeing the opposite and that's been normal to you because someone's telling you to do one thing and then they go do the opposite right and in your formative years you learned that that's how people act right And I think this is how, going back to some of those patterns of what you see in a kid who might be codependent, um, seeing them not trust, having trust issues, Mm -hmm. I think comes back to this specifically. Yes. Which is when the parent has the attitude of do as I say, not as I do, the kid is constantly confused because I'm seeing you do something completely opposite than what you're telling me to do. Yes. And shout out to my parents. I'm not trying to bash them in any way, but unfortunately that was... A problem in both uh, households. Mm-hmm. I, I, my parents constantly contradicted what they said, and I felt like information was just confusing all the time. Mm-hmm. So it led, led to a very confused adult. When mm-hmm. I became an adult, I was just like, huh? And like, it's hard to explain because it comes out in weird ways as an adult. It's not like you're just constantly confused all the time, but mm-hmm. like, you are confused on how to behave in certain Mm -hmm. you know even your emotional maturity is affected because Mm -hmm. it's like you know I saw my parents constantly disrespect themselves in a lot of ways right yes oh totally yeah and because you're saying they're saying to strive to meet unrealistic expectations they want that from you Right. But then they're not doing it in themselves. So then you get confused about what you should be expecting from other people. 
Right. You know. Right. Exactly. You nailed it on the head. Per oh. usual. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were saying earlier that we feel like we do that for each other. We're like, I'll say something that's not really fully fleshed out. And then yeah. uh, Brooke will repeat it in like the perfect way that I was trying to say it. And I'm like, oh, good. Yeah. And yeah. then she was like, yeah, I feel like you do that for me, too. So we're like, OK, thank God that somebody is saying these things yeah. in a digestible way. I'll say like just a fragment of a sentence. Or I'll say one phrase and you'll be like and you'll fully flesh it out. And I'm like, that's exactly that's what, what I meant. <laughs> Uh, okay, so for the action plan, what can parents yeah. do? What can parents do to prevent codependency in their children? Mm-hmm. Uh, first one is establish a trusting relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is pretty key, right? Have um, your words and actions match. Exactly. That's how you show them the most amount of trust, mm-hmm. right? Is your words have to match your actions, and you have to stay true to your word. Um, the next one is maintaining healthy boundaries, mm-hmm. right? Teach your kids how to make boundaries, even when you want something. Because that's another thing with parents, I think, is they think, oh, I'm here for my kid now. I don't have any wants or needs. And, you know, there's yeah. a logistic thing as well, like not literally not having time or money yes. or whatever. Like that, that is a whole other thing. Right. But if it is just more of a, a mental response that I'm just negating myself for the kid you're teaching that to your kid right you know what I mean like everything you are doing the boundaries you're setting or not the kid is seeing that right exactly so just keep that in mind (laughs) parents Um, keep that in mind we are not (laughs) parent shame (laughs) just to be clear cannot stress that enough Um, and then, uh, along with that is set reasonable rules and expectations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is pretty self-explanatory, but mm-hmm. just don't set anything that your kid can't realistically attain. You want to, and don't you know. change your rubric from moment to moment. Like this is what yes. I want right now. And then they do something and then you get mad at them for something else that you never said. You right. Know? Right. And that causes a kid to be hyper, vigilant yes. as an adult and you don't want to make them into that. And I that's mean, a big thing. Trying to in- to it what the other person needs from you or what they'll be mad at if you don't do right. or if you do right that whole thing comes from this right so you don't want them to be that hyper vigilant about everything because mm-hmm. you're switch constantly switching up your behavior or their way that you parent yeah um encourage yeah. to express feelings okay so encourage the child to express their feelings yeah and i feel like um with the generation above us especially with like baby boomers a lot of them were taught to be silent at the dinner table or like, mm. I know my dad, he said that my, my grandma had five kids. Okay. So mm-hmm. it was five of them at the table. Loud. Yes. And my dad would say because of how chaotic and loud it was and because every kid wanted to share what they were feeling and saying at every moment, my grandma had a rule where she was just like, okay, Billy, and this is an example, but like, okay. And it's Billy's turn. Billy, go ahead. And then, oh, yeah. and she would have to set kind of these, uh, these set like, times and things for you know for their kids to express themselves hilarious and yes that works but it doesn't at the same time Only when they're having a feeling that they want to express not tell me something now and then if yes. you don't it's a problem it's like that's the same as when they're having a feeling telling them to stop it's like i can't i'm not like a dancing monkey for you to you know what i mean like yes and and that's my dad said it turned into that because then my grandma expected mm-hmm. people to have something to share all the yeah. time and then when i when i became an adult and i started hanging out at the dinner table with grandma and aunts and uncles and everything <laughs> i realized on my own like around 16 I remember thinking this is such a weird dynamic everyone like 
is trying to one-up each other with these stories. Mm -hmm. And that's what it became. The dynamic of the family became who has the better story to tell and who can tell it better. And it was like my grandma judging and being like, hmm, that story was told well. And like, she wouldn't say that, but she would just give, it wasn't like. You can tell she's the arbiter of this conversation. Yeah, it was an unspoken thing, but we all knew grandma Mm -hmm. was the head of who can say these stories the best, right? That is so funny. And you know, in your mind, you're like, this is making sense from the stories I've heard. Yeah, exactly. Um, Oh my gosh. So, and then provide a nurturing and supportive environment. Yeah. So along with allowing your kid to express themselves, provide the nurturing and supportive environment to do so. The kid is not going to feel like they can truly be themselves if you create an environment where they are either shamed for expressing themselves or uh, feel guilty for expressing themselves or having needs to begin with, making sure that their needs are valid from the beginning. Right, right. And encouraging independence. Yeah, that's that's a big one. a big one. And I think a lot of what we talk about is that the person doesn't want the other person to have independence because they want them to need them right 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 and then along with that is encourage problem solving Mm -hmm. you know don't rush to fix everything for them Mm -hmm. guide and encourage the the kid to find solutions on their own yeah and this is a big one um i felt like i could have been pushed to find more solutions as a kid i felt like my when my parents split up and my mom remarried my stepdad kind of kind of took on the role of like i'm going to do everything for you and i'm going to like show up and I love him for that. I I greatly admire how he sh- showed up for me growing up. Mm-hmm. But it was a little too much. He showed up to where it sure. was like, let me do this for you. Let me do that for you. And, and you let didn't me, learn anything. <laughs> let me do all your school projects for you. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't really the thing. But he would do, like, a lot mm-hmm. of the brunt work. And I'm like, okay, well. I'll just sit back and chill. I'm going to get an A. Which good but... as a kid. But I think that's how some of these patterns start developing of not feeling like you can do it yourself or that you have yeah. validity in and of yourself, you know? Right. He was building the volcanoes that exploded and <laughs> I was getting all the credit for it. Totally. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, doing – one of them is building self-esteem with, like, trying different things and building perseverance. And I think that that just ties into what we were just talking about. Like building self-esteem is a part of having independence and knowing you can problem solve and figure something out for yourself. Right. You know? I felt like I could have had a little bit more of that because at times I struggle with setting up Ikea furniture. Yes. When it's like, you know, I should be knowing how to do certain household things by now. But, I mean, obviously I know the basics of cooking, cleaning, laundry, whatever, all that. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's other things where it's like I do wish that my parents gave me more agency as a kid to, like, learn this thing on my own or teach me how to do something a little more complicated. And, I mean, it's not easy as a parent. Sometimes you want to do all that stuff because the kid's doing it badly or the kids doing yeah. it too it's taking too long like cleaning chores if parents don't give oh, kids yeah. chores or like don't ever give them an opportunity to cook it's like there could be really valid reasons why they're like I literally just cannot do yeah. like oversee this because it's not getting done or they're doing it bad whatever right so that totally makes sense but I, I do think that um kind of brainstorming you know maybe a way to still get them to learn some of those things and meet your needs could be good or parents who feel like um you know they don't want to give their kids any chores or things to do because they're the parent you know and they're like oh yeah we don't want i don't want you to do anything it's like well maybe that's a part of codependency as well it could be you know not wanting to people please wanting to keep that 
person dependent on you or whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be again, but it could be something to think about. Actually, that was a great point that you just made. I know a friend of mine who explains her childhood as such, which is it was like my parents did everything for us and like had a gourmet breakfast every Mm. morning for us. And like, you know, I I feel like um, a lot of people can relate to that other side of the coin of codependency where it's like the parent is just overly doing things to make sure that you're still dependent on them Mm -hmm. in some way. Um, so it's hard because depending on the style that you got from your parent growing up, it's like, you're going to bring that into how you parent or you're going to, um, you know, just take it for what it is. I know. Yeah. And you know, nobody's perfect, but, um, we want to do the best we can and thinking about stuff like this, thinking about the dynamics, thinking about the patterns to look for in our kids or in our home could help reduce some of these codependent tendencies in our kids and in ourselves and you know I just think again nothing is a should we're not parent shaming but those are just some thoughts that we have based on the research that we've done of how it can look yes you know and with that being said we do want to end with two things that we I think we forgot to mention these are last two but oh um suicide line just in case anyone is struggling with that they should dial 988 988 Mm-hmm. Uh, so if anyone's struggling with suicide, the second thing we wanted to say was... If you're struggling with codependency, you can um, reach out to coda.org. Yes. Um, and there are meetings and sponsors and everything, uh, some more information online there. And we also have an email, do you like us pod at gmail.com. Yes, we want to hear about your parenting struggles, what you, what your side of the story... I want to hear what you guys think in regards to codependency and parenting and maybe even the parenting that you got as a kid and what, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, tell us all about your parenting and codependency at that email. And give us advice, ask for advice, just write in to say hi and let us know. Do Do you you like like us? us? See you next time. Bye.